Have you ever seen two worlds in one day? I bet you have. Just a few days ago, my wife had such an experience, and I employed some photojournalism skills that I might share it with you. The first picture, yes, right over our beautiful valley. You will notice upon descent the beautiful white fluffy clouds, the crisp air and the sunshine, the blue skies. Oh, I knew what a day to be coming back to Walla Walla. <laughs> the next photographs reveal movement down into ALW, our own airport when suddenly the scene changed. If you put these two photographs side by side now, I think it represents something we know to be true. In a sense, we live in two worlds at the same time. For those of us people of the text, we see reality through a kind of biblical bifocals, don't we? On the one hand, we see the challenge of this gray world. Jeremiah had these uh, biblical bifocals in view, I believe. On the one hand, he was fully aware of his current condition, this world of darkness. In fact, here are the concluding words of his lamentation. Women are raped in Zion, virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands, no respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are sick. Because of these things, our eyes have grown dim. Because of Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why have you forgotten us completely? Why have you forsaken us these many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Jeremiah sees clearly the world that he and that we live in. He does not live pie in the sky, unwilling to confront the reality of this present darkness. But that is not all Jeremiah sees. In fact, we discover a phrase repeated throughout the book which bears his name. It's a phrase of sunshine. Therefore, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when the end of an evil nation. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when hypocrites are punished. Therefore, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will restore them to the land. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Therefore, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when they shall live in their own land. 
For the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will watch over them to build and to plant. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt. Oh yes, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise. Jeremiah sees the world through biblically informed bifocals. On the one hand, he acknowledges this. Our hearts are sick. He does not look away from the present reality. But from the other high, he proclaims the days are surely coming. Does this not adequately represent the world that we live in? So how do we cope with this dual reality? I suppose one approach, um, maybe you've seen it around and about, the prevalence of these little happy or not devices. Have you come across these? The business is booming. Pharmacies, grocery chains, sports stores, dental clinics, veterinary hospitals, aviation, logistics, security, cleaning facilities, restrooms, hotels, fitness centers, and even educational institutions. For those who occupy a classroom in this sanctuary, imagine if after each 50-minute period your students would approach something like this and give you a little simplistic ranking right there on the spot. In fact, Nicole and I were traveling just days ago and came across this assessment of none other than Santa Claus. Apparently, he can be evaluated as well with such a simple device. I mean, this is one way that we might try to work our way through life, hoping that there's more of a smile than a frown. Perhaps if we can be lucky enough to have slightly better circumstances or a more significant way of interpreting our circumstances with a little more optimism. Maybe that's the way we can best negotiate this dual reality. But I suspect there's something better, don't you? Something richer, more significant and meaningful. In fact, I think uh, Pastor Chris Lowen captured it by sharing with us via social media, a powerful prayer that comes from the pen of Walter Brueggemann. Maybe you saw it. I'd like to share it with you. Brueggemann's prayer, we are strange mixtures of loss and hope. As we are able, we submit our losses to you. We know about sickness and dying, about death and mortality, about failure and disappointment. And now for a moment, we do our failing and our dying in your presence, you who attend to us in laws. As we are able, we submit our hopes to you. We know about self-focused fantasy and notions of control, but we also know that our futures are out beyond us, held in your good hand. Our hopes are filled with promises of well-being, justice, and mercy. 
Move us this day beyond our fears and anxieties into your land of goodness. We wait for your coming. We pray for your kingdom. In the meantime, give us bread for the day. Notice a prayer which does not simply seek to balance these two realities, but rather faithfully acknowledges what is before us. The challenges and the difficulties, those, those things that make our hearts sick. But also a prayer of confidence that God has something more, that God has done something more with rich implications in the future. That God has a way, even in this present moment, of lifting us to something better above the clouds. There's a story I shared with you many years ago. One of my favorite tales when I'm other places telling stories up front. Um, it happened right after we moved to this community some seven years ago. I tell groups that uh, in the Bryan family, there is a continuum of shower duration. It's true. My wife, who's the native Pacific Northwesterner, is an environmentalist. She takes very short showers. I, on the other hand, believe cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> Longer much longer showers. <laughs> my daughter Audrey has captured my genes and passion in this area. Uh, if she is the first to enter the shower in the morning, well, she will drain the tank to the very last drop. And William remains a bit of a tub guy to this point. But shortly after we moved here, we found ourselves out in a rustic setting in a cabin I got our then three-year-old, Audrey, set up in the shower. The right temperature, the right pressure, everything was ready to go. A moment later, she cries out, Daddy, Daddy, come quick. I shout back, what is it? Come quick, the shower, it's so cold. I couldn't believe it. I had just spent time making sure the temperature was just right. Daddy, come quick. I rush into the bathroom, put my hand up under the shower head, and it feels perfectly warm. In fact, a little on the hot side. Audrey, I don't know what you're talking about. Daddy, it's so cold. And I notice the shower head has been broken. No longer a steady, strong stream, but just a mist. And the distance from that shower head all the way down to my daughter's head Many degrees of temperature lost, and sure enough, it was quite chilly by the time that moisture hit her little body. Daddy, Daddy, do something. I tried to explain in three-year-old language the problem. She was having none of it. Daddy, do something. What do you want me to do, Audrey? Daddy, pick me up. Pick me up. And so I rolled up my sleeves and picked up my little girl. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that she might have a warm shower. There you have it, the Christmas story. God who sends Jesus to this world 
And through his birth and his life and his precious death and miraculous resurrection, he lifts us into the warmth of God's arms. He lifts us. I love Jeremiah's rendition of the Christmas story. Chapter 30, verse 10. So do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security, and no one will make him afraid. I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. My brothers and sisters, I need not tell you, we live in a time where hucksters peddling merchandise of fear permeate our midst. Storytellers of darkness both inside and outside the church that wish to fill our hearts with anxiety and fear and stress. But it is not times of trouble that we should focus on, oh no. It is the times of triumph, way back in that glorious moment in the first century when Jesus came. Oh, it is in a future time of triumph that we should focus when that great king will reappear in glory. Christmas is a story for those who will not be enticed by those storytellers of hell and darkness. Oh, no. We are at peace. We are secure. We are no longer threatened by hell nor legalism nor anything this world can throw at us. We are secure in the arms of our Father. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. We can be at peace today. We can be at peace until that moment. Oh, we must reverse those pictures. In this dark world, one day we shall rise up and up and up. Up we shall go into a glorious land of eternal sunshine and abundantly beautiful air for the Spirit himself will breathe on us afresh. We are in the season of gift giving. The greatest gift we have received, Jesus. And the greatest gift we can give to one another is Jesus, that we might be and continue to be storytellers, telling the rich narrative of Jesus in this place through our worship, through preaching of the Word, through music, through our care of those in our community and beyond, through the life of this church. And so it is appropriate not only for functional reasons that we highlight the collective gift we give one another and to God and to this world, 
through our offerings, through our local church budget. Oh, it goes far beyond paying the bills. Oh, our collective gifts to what happens in this place become a fantastic present to this globe. For we are a community of the story, the story that brings peace to the world, the story that is a stronger one than all other stories combined. And so now we worship by giving, all of us, to this great story.